today, the habit we're going to talk about is we love big. We love big. You know, we're all living a story, aren't we? You know, when you walked in here, you had an identity. You had a story about who you were. Maybe you're the new person, you know, who's coming in. Maybe you're the person who's always been here. I mean, this is your church. Really, we just get to come to your church. Maybe you're the servant leader. Maybe, I don't know what your story is, but you have a choice as to what story you live. We have a choice as to the narratives that we speak over our lives, that we speak over others. And our habits help to reinforce those narratives. But you know, sometimes we can let habits slip into labels. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I am just a really, I am a really giving person. That's just how I am. I'm just a giving person. And you're like, hmm. I've been watching you for a while. I don't know about that. Or my favorite, I never gossip, but. Right? You know? And we start getting labels on ourselves. Maybe we were a really giving person in a season of our life. Maybe we were a person who didn't gossip. Maybe we were a person who loved big. Maybe we were a person who cheered enthusiastically. But somewhere along the way, it went from being a habit to a label. And so now it's a story that we tell ourselves without any backup. And so we have to always go back and say, is this truly an active habit in my life? Or is this just something that I used to do and I like to tell people about? Philip and I were talking to some people about marriage, and, and uh, we were saying, you know, we built our, our marriage on Sunday evening meetings, and we did. I mean, we read a book that you should have a Sunday evening meeting with your spouse, and you should go over finances, and you should go over for the schedule for the day, and you should talk about your marriage, and that would be the time, and you'd schedule your conflicts for Sunday evening, and we did it. I mean, we did it for years. We don't do it now, but still, sometimes I talk about it like we're still doing it. And I have to remind myself, hey, we did build our marriage on that, but now we're building our marriage on other habits. And I better make sure that there's some things that are replacing the old habits. You may have used to pray at 6 in the morning till 9, but then you had kids, and you're still trying to hold on to the old habit. Well, you know, the routine may change, but the habit of prayer can stay firm in your life. And so when we talk about we love big, let's look at it with new eyes and really judge our lives by not how do we feel about ourselves. I'm a really loving person, but what do our actions say about whether this habit is in our life? Let's go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of my favorite chapters. Um, I actually, in elementary school, they, they love to make us memorize 1 Corinthians 13 because I went to a Christian school. But the problem was is that my teachers couldn't agree on a translation. So in like second grade, we memorized it in the KJV. And then in fifth grade in the, you know, NIV because that was cooler. And then I finally had a teacher who wanted us to do it in the message. And I was like, I give up. I give up. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Let's skip all the way down to verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Let's just talk about what loving big looks like. What loving big looks like. The first thing that it looks like in verse 4 is it looks patient and kind. It looks patient and kind. Kind. As I was reading this today, I had always seen it just kind of as a list. Patient, kind, happy, da-da-da-da-da-da, not connected. But that's not really what it says. It says patient and kind. And sometimes we can be patient but not kind. And sometimes we can be kind but we're not very patient. And if we want to love big, then we've got to be both because patience without kindness turns into enabling. And kindness without patience leads to burnout. And haven't we seen that in our lives? Patience without kindness turns to enabling, and kindness without patience leads to burnout. But when we are both patient and kind, we are empowered to love even the most difficult people big. The next thing it looks like is it's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. None of those things. You know, I think sometimes we think that we can be one of these and not the others, and it's okay. It's like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a boastful or a proud or a rude person. I'm just, I'm just a little jealous because I'm insecure. It's like, oh, okay, well, then that's fine. You can totally disobey God because you're insecure. I mean, that's cool. Sorry, I didn't know, you know. But isn't that kind of what we do? We speak our excuse, and then we say, because I'm not three of the four, it's okay if I'm one of the four. But when we choose to be jealous, when we choose to be boastful, when we choose to be proud, or we choose to be rude, we are not having a proper view of ourselves, of God or others, and we're not allowing God's love to flow through us to other people. Because if you are jealous, if you're boastful, if you're proud, if you're rude, if if I am that way, I am forgetting that I am a child of God first, that that's my identity but they, so are they. You know, I, I, whenever I'm talking to people who are dating, I say, go places and see how the person you're dating treats people in the service industry. See how they treat the waiter at the restaurant that has the worst service in the city. Like, go on purpose. And just watch. 
See the way that they talk to them. Why? Because it will tell, the way you treat people that are there to serve you will tell you more about yourself than anything ever will. Do you have in your heart a jealous, a proud, a boastful, a rude personality that keeps you from seeing the humanity in every person that you interact with? We have to check our hearts It does not demand its own way. People say, I have a right to be happy. Well, one, you you don't have any rights in the kingdom of God. Kingdoms aren't right-based. They're his right way based, right, you know? But, but even if we're talking about here, that's not even what our history says. It says you have a right to pursue happiness. No one guarantees us happiness. There is nothing on earth. We are not entitled to happy lives. We're entitled to pursue happiness, but we're not entitled to happy lives. And so many times when we feel entitled, we start to demand our own way, and we miss out on the joy of following God and following his word and doing what he asks us to do. Because if we are demanding our own way, now hear me, I'm not talking about not having an opinion. That's different. Some people are like, you shouldn't even know which way you'd like to go. You should just close your eyes to all the options. Don't have any preferences. Don't think about that. But that's not it. The Bible says that God wants to give us the desires of our heart, right? I mean, the Bible tells us all kinds of wonderful things and beautiful promises. It's not that we can't have a desire, a yearning, but when we demand our own way, we are putting our authority over God's authority. We are putting our dreams over the dreams of others. We're saying our perspective is the only one that counts, and we can't love other people if that's the way that we are acting. You know, I have, a, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. It's like Christianity boot camp, you know? I mean, you're just getting to see the raw sin nature with no, like, no shielding. And, and it's so oh, interesting how we get into really big problems because they demand their own way. And they don't care. You know, I can remember when I became a parent, my mom said, don't Tell them how much it hurts your feelings. Your children don't care. They only care about their feelings. And she said, if they're causing you pain, make sure they feel it too. That's just extra. That's not even in the sermon. They demand their own way. It's natural. It's what we want to do. They don't care that I'm sitting there taking care of Ella, balancing dishes, and trying to do our taxes. They don't care. But sometimes that's what we look like, too. We don't care about the context of our employee who didn't get the job done. We don't care about the pain of our boss who has to figure out how to make payroll. We don't care about the way that our spouse is feeling or what they're going through or what their dreams are or what they're, and it keeps us from loving big. We can't demand our own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of wrong. So by the time I had read down this far and was writing my sermon, I just stopped and started repenting. Because, you know, anybody just get irritated sometimes? 
Oh, come on. Does anybody get irritated sometimes? Thank you. Just make me feel better, you know? I mean, do you ever just, there's just some people who just get under your skin, right? I mean, they get near you and you just start twitching. I know because I've seen you. When we let other people's record with us, their past with us, or maybe our past with people like them, to influence the way that we view them, it's easy to get really, really irritated. And so that's why we have to choose to love big. We have to choose to live in forgiveness. We have to choose to live in forgiveness for what other people have done to us, specific people, but also types of people. I, had, I did not do very well in middle school and high school. I just didn't. There's lots of reasons. I'm naturally awkward, and I like to use really big words. I don't really know what it was, but it didn't work, okay? And it just so happened that the people it really didn't work with were really cute girls who wore a lot of makeup and had their hair very big. It was the 80s, okay? And there was something in me that decided that there was something wrong with those kinds of people. And so I started defining myself as not those kinds of people. So I didn't take care of myself. I didn't do certain things. Not because I didn't want to. Not because it was my choice. Not because I said, oh, that's my style. But because I didn't want to be like them. And You know, I, I think about that season of my life before I chose to forgive others and chose to forgive myself and decided I wasn't going to hold the outside of somebody against them when I didn't even know them. I think about that season and I wonder how many great friends I missed out on. But more than that, how many people did I not see? How many hurting cute girls crossed my path and I didn't see them and I didn't reach out to them? What is our irritation costing us? You may say, well, I can't help it. And I get that. I get that you can't help it, but you can do something about it. Right? You're right. You can't help it. That's, it's like an involuntary response. It's like an allergic reaction sometimes when you've been schooled, you know, and you just know they're going to say the thing that they said last time and, you know, all that stuff. I get it. But you can choose to act like you're not irritated. And you know how to do that because every one of us has had a superior who irritated us. And we knew how to act like they didn't. Right? So we can act like we're not irritated. We can choose to do the right thing. And it may take time, but I've watched it in my life. People who I honestly, when they walked in the door, I'm not talking about at the church, when they walked in the door of the house, when they walked in the door of the restaurant, when they walked into my world, I got sick to my stomach. I was just irritated. They annoyed me. I didn't want to hang out with them. But I kept doing the right thing. I kept being nice. I kept speaking love over them. I did not complain about them to anyone because I didn't even want to hear, have my ears hear me talk about how much they annoyed me. Do you know God changed my heart? Because when you line up in obedience with God's word, he does something in you. And how wonderful is that? Because now I love that person. I love those people. And I'm able to let God's love flow through me to them. If we want to love big, 
We can't be irritable. We can't keep a record of wrongs. And then it says, doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins, when the truth wins. You know, it's easy to want to rejoice when something bad happens to someone who deserves it or to minimize the suffering of people who are not us. Isn't it? It's easy. It's easy to go, oh, well, if I was them, I totally wouldn't care. Well, you aren't them, and you probably would. Right? Because most of the time, when I've experienced some of the things that I didn't think were that big of a deal, I've been shocked at how much it impacted me. It's easy to minimize those things. It's easy to minimize the injustices that happen around us. But it's not enough that we just mourn with people who are experiencing injustice. We also have to celebrate when the truth wins. And I find that there's, it's almost like there's two kinds of people, and I can be either one. It's, it's strange. You know, like you're the person who's like, you know, there's injustice in the world. We've got to fight it. Or you're the person over here who's like, but there's truth too, you know, and you're happy and you're excited and you're finding all the positive. You can be both. You can be the person who says, I am so sorry that happened to you, and I'm certainly not going to rejoice about it. And the person who says, but look where justice did win out. Look how we have come farther. Look how there has been growth. You can be both. And you know what? Love demands both. Love demands both. Because we have to celebrate when people come away from prejudice. We have to celebrate that. Because that's a big deal. We have to celebrate when people change their thinking about certain things that maybe God's dealt with you about a long time ago. We have to celebrate the movements in our culture. We have to celebrate when truth wins out because that's part of loving. Then it says love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always helpful, endures through every circumstance. Can you feel Paul just trying to throw out as many like synonyms as possible, different ways of saying it so everybody will get it? I mean, they're slightly different. They have, they have different meanings, but it's all a different way of saying live on, live on. You don't have to give up. You don't have to give up because when we love big with the Father's love, we know that it's in his hands. Am I giving up on a person or am I truly leaving it in God's hands? Am I washing my hands of them or am I just being patient and leaving it in God's hands? And this has so much to do with hope and our way of being towards someone. There's been seasons where I know without a shadow of a doubt I was not supposed to intervene in the crises of people in my life. I knew it, it was, I was not trying to punish them. I was not trying to hurt them. But I knew I was not supposed to intervene. But sometimes what we can do is we can say, I'm not supposed to intervene, so I'm out. I'm out. If I can't fix this, I'm out. But there is a love that allows us to sit with people through crises that even they created. That allows us to hold people's hand and say, Man, you're right. Life did just get really tough, but you're not alone. 
And it's so important that we not confuse enabling or stopping enabling with giving up. You can still have hope for someone. You can still have love for someone without continuing to enable behavior that's eventually going to destroy their lives. And then finally it says this. It says, love will last forever and is the greatest of what will last forever because it's who God is, what he does, and how he feels about us. Don't you love that? So that's what love is. But I thought it might be a little bit fun to talk about what happens when we don't love big. And so just real briefly, there's three things that happen when we don't love big. And if you go back to verse 1, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth, don't you wish you could speak all the languages of earth? Would that not just be the most fun thing? If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The first thing that happens when we don't love big is we don't connect or communicate. We don't connect or communicate. You may think that it's your words that allow you to connect and communicate, but it is the love that is in your heart that will ultimately allow you to connect and to communicate. I know you've had this experience just like I have. Somebody who really loved you, and you knew it. You knew that they loved you. And they said not just the wrong thing. They said the real wrong thing. They said with the right motives, the totally, it was bad. I mean, it was a train wreck of a conversation, and it never got better. They never dug themselves out of a hole. You're like interpreting for them what they meant. I know you said that, but what you meant was, how is it possible that we're able to interpret, even in the midst of terrible words, what somebody really meant to say to our heart. It's because we know that they love us. We know that they have their best interest. It's the love that helps us to translate and to communicate into another person. But the other thing is that love will allow you to say the right thing. Love will allow you to say with an open heart truth. Love will drive you past your discomfort to confront behaviors that will destroy people in your life. Love is what allows us to connect and communicate. So if we don't love big, if we don't love the way that Jesus loved, so love, then we don't connect and we don't communicate. The second thing is found in verse 2. It says, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge... I mean, seriously, Paul is so hyperbolic. I mean, he's just, he's like throwing out stuff and everybody's like, yes. If I had that gift of prophecy, okay. If I knew all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, I'm the wisest person on the earth by far. If I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Second thing, that happens when we don't love big is we can't become who God wants us to be. We can't become who God wants us to be. It's all about being before doing. We cannot win God's approval or earn sonship. It's a gift. And when we have God's love in our heart and he abides in us and we abide in him, then the prophecy, the secret plans, the knowledge, and the faith have the context to shape us into his image. 
You know, you'll meet people in your life if you haven't already. If you're new to church, I'm telling you, you will meet people who know the Bible so perfectly well, but they do not have the love of God anywhere in their heart. And you wonder to yourself, how is it that the word of God, that the knowledge of God has not changed who they are? But I will tell you, it's because if you don't allow God's love to be the number one bedrock of your life, then knowledge will just be knowledge and it will just give you an excuse to be who you wanted to be in the first place. The third thing that happens when we don't love big is found in 1 Corinthians 13.3. It says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, another translation that I memorized said, um, and even gave my body to be burned, nice and graphic. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. The third thing that happens when we don't love big is we can't build anything that lasts. I'm going to ask the piano player to start playing. We can't build anything that lasts. Do you notice how it says I could boast about it? I mean, it's, it's an ironic statement, right? Because in the next few verses, it says that love is not boastful. But it says, if I gave everything to the poor. So here we have this ironic statement juxtaposed next to giving everything to the poor and sacrificing your entire body. It's just, it's strange, Right? Why would you do all of those things? But I think it's to remind us that love has to drive our actions, not our need for validation and affirmation. So many times we can find ourselves using our our giving, using our serving as a way of manipulating other people and not as a way of just truly loving not as a way of truly loving. But I did so much for you. How could you possibly think that? But did you see? I mowed the lawn, and that entitles me to. We act like it's love, but that's not the way that love works. What's the kind of love that God gave us? He gave us love because he loved us. That was it. We existed, he loved us, bottom line, end of story. That was it. And so here's all these sacrificial things, all of these sacrificial actions, but we can't get confused. We have to allow God to put love inside of us for those that we serve and those that we sacrifice for. We love big because God so loved us. And hear me, the Bible says that I would rather have obedience than sacrifice. We can never get confused that loving big has to do with the other person. It has to do with God. It's an order. And so we obey. And the only thing that can be a firm foundation for what we want to build our life on is the bedrock hardcore obedience to the commands of God. 
There's a lot of, of mishy, mushy things in the Bible. You know, faith is one of those things that nobody can measure outside of you. You know, there's, there's so many different things that are mishy and mushy. But there's a lot of check the boxes too. And one of them is that we have to love each other. And then it gives us all these ways that we know whether or not we are loving each other. But if we're obedient or not, we'll determine, like Philip said on Sunday, whether Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our life or whether he's just the cross on our steeple. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna build a house on the sand that has a really pretty cross on the top. I wanna build a house on the rock of Jesus Christ. I wanna build something that lasts. I wanna build something eternal. And you know that last verse, it says that the only thing that's gonna last, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And then it says the greatest of these is love. So shouldn't we decide that loving big is going to be a cornerstone habit of our life. When we're trying to decide how to treat somebody, we're gonna love big. When we're trying to decide how to respond in the moment, we're gonna love big. When we're trying to decide whether we should be boastful or proud or rude or whether we should give up and just wash our hands of people, no, we're gonna choose to have that habit and instead to love big. Because at the end of the day, we wanna let the love of God flow through us to connect us to others. Because it's what connects us. We want the love of God to flow through us to grow us into who God wants us to be and to build us a legacy that will impact the world. Will you stand with me? You know, every time I read 1 Corinthians 13, I'm so convicted because I wanna love people the way that Jesus asks us to love people because he's loved me so well. Hasn't he loved you well? Hasn't his love changed your life? 